Thank you. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Dominik Szablewski, and you can find me online under the name Phobos Lab. Um, Phobos is actually one of the two Mars moons, Phobos and Deimos, and that's an actual uh, photo of the moon you can see in the background right here. Um, I do lots of crazy experiments, um, and you know, the Phobos laboratories were originally the uh, place where this happened. So my experiments are crazy, but uh, not as crazy as opening portals to hell yet. Um, so I, I do lots of different stuff. Um, back in 2010, I made one of the first HTML5 games, and maybe the first HTML5 game that's actually fun to play. Um, I <laughs> I later published the uh, game engine behind this game um, and uh, sold it. And this game engine is, the, uh, is one of the, the main reasons that I can do all these crazy experiments right now, because it was quite successful with that. Um, later, I published um, one of the first HTML5 games for the Nintendo Wii U. Um, they actually have a framework called Nintendo Web Framework, um, which runs great for um, consoles, so you can do crazy stuff like this with hundreds of bullets on the screen. Um, I uh, started a project called Ejector. Um, Ejector is um, a canvas implementation for, the, uh, for iOS. So think of it like, um, like a canvas element without the browser surrounding it. You just get the JavaScript runtime and the Canvas Im uh, implementation that is really, really fast because it's uh, implemented with OpenGL natively and it doesn't have to get through all the layers um, like in a normal browser. Um, I was hoping that this project would get obsolete um, for a number of times in the last few years because uh, the, the browsers for uh, smartphones get better and better, but there's always a use case um, where this project still remains um, relevant um, the newest one being uh, Apple's tvOS for their Apple TV platform, which doesn't support web views at all. So if you want to have some HTML5 animation or HTML5 games, Ejecta is probably the way to go. Um, I also do a bit of native uh, stuff. So um, earlier this year, I ported one of my favorite games uh, to uh, the Oculus Rift to play it in virtual reality. And I tried virtual reality, or more spe specifically, uh, WebVR for one of my own HTML5 games. So um, you can play the uh, virtual reality version in your browser if you have the headset. Um, both games are actually horrible to play um, because of the fast movement. You will get sick in a few minutes. So I don't recommend it, but it's still fun to look at. And lastly, a few months ago, I um, ported one of, or reverse engineered one of my other favorite games from the 90s um, and extracted all the data formats, the um, textures and models uh, to be displayed in a browser. So this actually runs with, um, with FGL right now, and it's interactive. You can zoom around the map. That's the, um, the whole track for, for this, um, the whole racetrack rendered at once in, in a browser. And it also works on mobile phones with 60 frames per second. If you think back at the, at the 90s where you played this game, you had a render distance of maybe 10 meters before you got a blank screen. So it's quite, quite crazy that you can um, 
render the whole track at once in a browser right now. So today I want to talk about uh, something else, which is JSMPEG. As was announced already, it's a um, JavaScript uh, MPEG-1 video decoder. And as you can say, uh, see in the example here, it's quite easy to use. You just hand it over a canvas element and the file name of, of your uh, MPEG-1 file, and it will start playing in your browser. Um, and it looks something like this. This is actually rendered in a web page. Um, it's rendered with 30 frames per second, and it's a 720p video. So um, it's quite a good resolution. You still get a bunch of uh, encoding artifacts, but it's not as bad. And it also runs on a mobile phone um, with uh, 30 frames per second. So you can um, get this on your iPhone 5 and um, watch 720p video decoded in JavaScript in real time. Um, the whole library is only uh, about 1,800 lines of code. And this is readable code, so not um, garbled or minified. And um, maybe a good third of the code is actually um, just code tables for the um, Huffman decoding. So um, it's, it's, if you want to get into video decoding, um, it's, it's a really nice uh, place to, to start and to look at and to experiment with. Um, to show you that this runs in the browser, I can just bring up the console. And uh, you get all the controls that you uh, would expect. So I can, I can pause the video right now. I can um, seek to a specific frame. Here's a good one. Um, and I can, I can single step through the frames, and uh, you can pinpoint the exact moment where his heart breaks. and he doesn't care anymore. <laughs> so again, this um, now runs really well in, uh, in the mobile browser, but um, it hasn't always been this way, and I will explain how, how we got here. But uh, first, I want to dive in into the MPEG-1 video format a bit. Um, MPEG-1 was developed in the 90s, so it's quite old. It's uh, more than 20 years old. Um, it was designed for 90s hardware, so uh, really slow computers or um, discrete chips that were designed to decode this video format. Um, the fact that it's obsolete and designed for old hardware also means that it's simple and it runs fast enough to do it in JavaScript. Um, I've looked at a lot of other video formats and it's unbelievable how complicated they are. Um, there's so much st stuff piled on top of each other. And MPEG really is a nice foundation to, um, to understand video codecs. It's interesting because um, most modern video codecs like, like H.264 um, actually work in much the same way as MPEG does, but um, they add a lot of um, special casing and, uh, and, and different stuff to make it even better than MPEG-1, which also makes it way, way more complicated. So let's dive in a bit. Um, here's a single video frame. Um, this is actually uh, a lower resolution version of the of a frame we just saw, and it's also a lower bitrate version. And this frame is a so-called intra-frame, which means that the whole frame is encoded. Um, intra-frames and videos are typically followed by 
um, so-called p-frames or predicted frames, which just encode the differences from the previous intra-frame. So you get one intra-frame and a bunch of uh, predicted frames after that. Um, modern codecs also reference other frames in their predicted frames. So a predicted frame might actually reference a frame that's ahead of it and encodes a difference to this frame. But um, in MPEG, it's quite simple that it only just references the last decoded frame. This also means that if you want to uh, seek to a specific place in the video, um, you can only seek to the, to the um, nearest intra-frame before it, because you have to have a complete picture. You have to um, decode this picture completely. And then you can um, decode all the predicted frames on top of it till you reach the place where you actually want to go. So um, you have to find a good balance between intra-frames and predicted frames. If you only have one intra-frame at the very beginning of the video and have predicted frames on top of each other for the whole video length, um, you not only um, lose the ability to, to uh, search through this video, but you also um, have a lot of uh, decoding artifacts and, and rounding errors that pile on top of each other. So typically, uh, video files will have about one intra-frame per second. So one fully encoded frame in the video file. So if we look at this frame a bit more closely, you can already see lots of the encoding artifacts. That's why I choose a little bitrate to, uh, to um, highlight these. Um, you will see that the video frame is divided into 8 by 8 pixel chunks. Um, these chunks are called macro blocks. And each macro block is encoded um, separately. So if we have a look at one of these macro blocks, and we'll also have a look at just one um, channel for this macro block. So um, we just ignore the colors for now and go with the grayscale version. So this macro block is um, not encoded with the actual pixel values. So in an 8x8 um, macro block, you have obviously 64 pixels that have to be encoded. But the values of these uh, pixels are not stored independently of each other. But rather, the macro block is um, divided into the frequencies of this image. So these are all the possible frequencies that could be in an 8x8 pixel image. Um, and if you combine these frequencies in a specific manner, you can actually perfectly reconstruct this macro block that you see on the, on the bottom of the screen. Um, so you take, for instance, in this example, um, 0.73 times the upper left um, frequency of the image, and then 0.24 times the next one, and so on. And this is sort of like, um, like uh, if, you, if you analyze an audio file, and you will know that um, it, if, you have a, if you are in Winamp, you have a frequency analyzer, and it shows you the frequencies that are just currently playing. It doesn't show the wave that is currently playing, but the frequencies. And if you do this with a high enough resolution, um, you can perfectly reconstruct the audio file. And in this case, if you, do, if you save this, the step is completely lossless. So you could, from these um, uh, coefficients, um, you could perfectly recreate this 8x8 pixel image. What MPEG does now is it says that some of these frequencies are more important than others. So um, the, the low frequencies that you see in the upper left corner are um, encoded with a higher accuracy. And the um, high frequencies that you see in the uh, lower right corner are encoded with lower accuracy. 
So many of these um, high frequencies either zero out or um, are fully, fully opaque. Um, the JPEG format actually works in much the same way with, with, uh, with the encoding. And you might have seen this. This is, this is the exact reason why JPEG is a terrible format for um, high frequency, high contrast um, content like um, an image of text. If you have text, you have very high contrast and uh, very high frequencies, and these are typically um, destroyed in the, in the encoding process. So this is one of the tricks that MPEG does to, um, to uh, lessen the file size of the encoded image. Um, these coefficients are stored. Um, they are run length encoded, which means that if there are um, several values that are the same after each other in this, in the, in this coefficient table, um, it will just say this value comes five times and this uh, saves a little bit of space. And then it's also Huffman encoded, um, which is um, similar to, uh, to zip compression. Um, so you have a table that um, mentions the, uh, the, um, the values that are most frequently seen in an image. Um, these uh, encoded coefficients and uh, compressed coefficients are stored in a macro block. And for predicted frames, only the difference in this macro block to the previous macro block is encoded. But predicted frames also store a reference block address. So they say um, this macro block references the, uh, another macro block from the last frame. And it stores a motion vector that says the last macro block moved 4.5 pixels in this direction. And um, so you, uh, you not only encode the difference between the last macro block, but the difference between a macro block that was moved from the last frame. Um, this is also the main reason why encoders are so much slower than decoders, um, because you have to find these um, reference macro blocks. You have to search through the image and see um, where the last macro block was that was kind of similar. So these macro blocks are then stored. Oh, hold on. Sorry. <laughs> these macro blocks are then stored in uh, so-called slices. A slice typically runs for um, one run row of macro blocks in the image, um, and it encodes some uh, more properties of the slice, so um, uh, each slice can be stored a bit more efficiently. And a bunch of these slices are finally stored into one picture, and this picture um, also um, stores if it is um, an intra-frame or a predicted frame and a bunch of other, other attributes for this, for this picture. So let's have a look at this in motion. Again, this is the video we saw earlier. And again, it's a lower resolution, lower bitrate version of this video, so we can see the encoding artifacts. Um, one thing I haven't talked about right now is um, the color space that MPEG um, stores in, in the video file. So typically, in, in, a, in, a, <coughs> sorry, in an image, you have um, it's stored in RGB color format, so um, red, green, and blue. Um, each get their own channel, but MPEG actually stores um, all the information in three channels, one um, which is for the lightness or luma, and two channels which are for the chroma values for the colors. Um, this format is called uh, YCBCR. 
And you can see the Luma channel is uh, displayed in grayscale here, and the both color channels are displayed in sort of ugly greenish blue colors. And if we have a closer look, um, you can see the color channel on the right. And uh, if we display it as grayscale so that you have a bit more contrast, you can see another trick that the MPEG format uses, which is um, it draws the color channels with a much lower accuracy than um, the lightness channel. Um, so it looks quite ugly. Um, and if you look closely, you can also see some of the patterns that you saw in this, um, in this wave um, in the frequency table. So you see um, some of these frequencies, some of these checkerboard patterns encoded in the video file because the resolution and uh, the bitrate is so low. But um, together, these color channels and the lightness channel work out pretty well, so you don't uh, notice that the that the color information is su in such a low resolution because the lightness channel is in a higher resolution and sort of uh, is, over the, uh, is uh, displayed over the color information. So um, here's what happens if you, uh, if you, instead of decoding intra frames, those, those frames that are fully encoded in the, um, in the video file, um, you just clear the screen. I also have uh, lowered the frame rate a bit so that you can see what's going on. And this green color might actually seem familiar to you. Um, it's what happens when all three channel values are zero, and this is uh, the color that gets displayed then. And as, as I said, we ignore these intra-frames completely and clear the screen instead. So you see only the differences encoded on top of each other. So you see those um, slight movements in the green color, but you also see some um, complete macro blocks um, being displayed completely because the encoder decided um, it was actually more efficient to, um, to store this macro block completely with all color information instead of storing the differences from the last frame. So you can see those blocks popping up if there's a lot of motion on the screen. Let's go back to normal. And here's what happens if you just ignore the intra-frames or 90% of the intra-frames. And that's an error you probably have seen also countless of times in uh, video codecs. So the screen isn't cleared right now if there's an intra-frame, but just completely ignored. And you can see the movement um, is displayed on top of the old frames. And sometimes there are some quite funny results of that. So this color conversion I talked about, the, um, the YCBCR um, color space has actually be, uh, to be converted into RGB to be displayed on a canvas element or to, to, the, to be displayed on a, on a screen because um, our screens typically work with the RGB color space. And this color space conversion from uh, YCBCR to RGB was one of the main bottlenecks when I developed this um, decoder. Just think about it, if you have a 720p video, um, you have to decode almost uh, or convert almost 1 million pixels per frame um, from RGB to, to this, uh, sorry, from, from uh, YCBCR to RGB. So this inner loop you see here, um, this actually has to run for close to a million times per frame. That's 30 million times per second which is quite a lot for JavaScript. It was fine on uh, desktop PCs, 
but it was a bit uh, too slow to decode um, 720p video on mobile devices. So I already did some tricks here to, um, to try to speed it up. Um, the conversion from, from these color spaces is done with integers only, so no floating point math, which made it a bit first, faster, but still not fast enough. Um, the next thing I tried was to use 32-bit uh, writes for these arrays. So um, instead of storing each color component separately, like you see in the um, upper example, where the R, G, B, and A values are each stored as a separate instruction, um, I casted the or I created a view of the um, of the RGB A array um, that is 32 pixel uh, 32 bits wide, and just write one color value with RGB and A um, values completely together as one step. So here's a bit of bit shift stuff going on to encode the RGBA into a 32-bit number and store it into the, uh, the pixels array. And this actually was, um, was quite a bit faster than the old version, but it still wasn't fast enough. So one guy on uh, GitHub suggested that we use WebGL for the conversion, and this actually worked out great. great. So what you can see here is a very simple WebGL shader and we just hand over these um, decoded buffers for the YCB and CR textures. Um, sorry, th these buffers are handed over as texture textures. And um, for each pixel on the screen, the shader grabs the value from these buffers, does the conversion, and uh, out outputs it on the screen. And this is sort of like the bread and butter for each uh, GPU. Just do something for each pixel independently. And this is so fast that you can't even measure it because you know, it runs on the GPU and it runs in another process. Um, but the, the only thing you can measure is the uh, texture upload um, time that you need. And um, on mobile devices, it's about uh, one millisecond to upload these three texture values. So the, um, with this change, the whole thing went fast enough. So um, that you can actually decode these 720p videos on uh, mobile devices. So with this working, there's only one question remaining. Why? And uh, the answer is, isn't that simple. I actually started, started with this out of uh, interest in video um, compression, but it was useful as well. Um, if we have a look at the current situation with the HTML5 video element, um, you get these, uh, these differences in uh, supported um, codecs. So let's start with the uh, shitty browsers from companies that don't care about the web. Internet Explorer and Safari um, don't decode WebM because, I don't know, they hate the web and hate open source. Um, they just, but they love H.264 because it's patented and it's... Uh, you know, I don't know. I have no idea why they don't decode WebM. Um, Chrome can decode uh, both formats. Chromium, on the other hand, can only decode WebM because H.264, there's no open source solution that is not patented or patent encumbered. And same with Firefox. But um, recent versions of Firefox actually try to use an H.264 codec if it's installed on the system under certain conditions. I couldn't find documentation anywhere what this actually means. So I don't, 
your best bet is to not use H.264 if you want to support Firefox. But there's hope. Um, Microsoft's Edge browser announced that they will support WebM in the future. So maybe in one year, we'll, we will have WebM decoding in Microsoft's Edge, and then it will only take three or four more years before Safari catches up. Same situation with uh, live streaming for the video element. Um, there are currently two standards that are competing, um, HLS, which is HTTP live streaming, developed by Apple, and uh, MPEG-Dash. Both formats are quite similar. They uh, provide a playlist of short chunks of video. So you have maybe 20 video files each five seconds, and you have a playlist of these video files. And this playlist can be appended dynamically, and um, if you have a live stream, you just um, request these, uh, this playlist continuously and get new segments. Um, this also means that you have at least um, a latency of 5 to 10 milliseconds from the live stream, so it's not really live, but um, it's, it's good enough for broadcasting, but not for, um, I don't know, VNC or screen sharing or stuff like that. And the uh, situation is a bit better than with the codecs, because um, all, those, all the stuff is just um, uh, served as HTTP requests. So the playlist is served as an HTTP request or over HTTP, and the video files are served over HTTP. So you can build um, clients for this dash and HLS uh, with JavaScript. Um, there's one hiccup for Firefox, which doesn't support HLS under certain conditions. I haven't found anything more about, uh, out about this. In theory, you should be able to build something that works on all browsers, but I haven't seen a demo of this working yet. If you know a demo, please get in touch. Um, so let's try something. So I have a small um, Node.js script here that uh, creates a WebSocket server, and it creates an HTTP server. And when this HTTP server receives data, it just broadcasts this data over the WebSocket connection. So you send something over HTTP, and it gets broadcasted to all connected WebSocket clients. And I have the, this index.html file here. Um, just creates a WebSocket client and hands it over to JSMPEG. So I can start the um, Node.js server here, and it gets two ports, the one port for accepting the um, HTTP connection and one port for accepting WebSocket connections. And let's start this. And I have another tab here. Um, this tab runs FFmpeg, which is uh, a media encoder and decoder. It supports almost all video formats and even image formats out there. And it supports a few output formats, so you can save it into a file or stream it over HTTP. And that's exactly what we're going to do here. Let's just start this. And you can see the stream connected on my local server. And let's visit. So that's a live, um, live stream from my webcam through FFmpeg 
um, and then through Node.js into the browser over WebSockets, and it's decoded in JSMPEG. And you can see the latency isn't too bad. <laughs> so let's try something else. What's my IP address, actually? Okay, um, everyone get out your phone, tablet, or laptop and visit this address. I have no idea if this is going to work. We should actually be able to... Oh, one guy connected already. Nobody? I tried this earlier with my, uh, with my phone and it took a while to load. I have no idea why. Give it a few more seconds. Well, I'll leave this running and uh, just get on with my talk. And if anyone can't connect, um, just scream and <laughs> we'll all be happy. Um, so one thing you could build with this is um, this is an iPhone app called Instant Webcam, um, which basically does the same thing as, as I did with uh, Node.js, but it's all packaged into one single app and it serves the, uh, the iPhone camera through HTTP. So you can open any browser and connect directly to your iPhone and it serves a small web page and over WebSockets the MPEG stream. And another thing I built is, um, can only show you a video because this is for Windows only. Um, it's a small app that you run on your Windows desktop and it serves the whole screen um, over WebSockets to, to any browser that's connected. And this is actually fast enough to do some gaming with it. Um, I was able to, to bring down the latency to about 50 milliseconds um, because everything is integrated into one app and there's no, no overhead for, for the stuff. So, uh, most of the time, I'm just waiting for the frame to be rendered by Windows before I can grab it and send it over the network. Um, so the, all the input uh, from your browser is sent back over the network to your Windows desktop. And this also works on a mobile phone. So you can actually play games on, in your browser. Um, there's currently sound missing, but it works surprisingly well for what it is. So, in conclusion, I only have to say that always bet on JavaScript. Um, there, there are so many solutions for video uh, decoding and video streaming out there, um, but they all are so complicated, and frankly, I don't understand why. Um, so it was actually easier to, uh, to write an MPEG-1 decoder in JavaScript and um, the, the server for WebSockets um, 
and have this whole setup completely written by myself then to deal with all the different vendors um, that try to make streaming work. So, thank you. Um, So everything I talked about is uh, you can find on, on this URL that's displayed here. Um, there are links to all the examples I had at the beginning and also for this JSMPEG stuff. Whoa. Come and join me on the comfy chairs, Dominic. I need a puff of the, uh, the head explosion bong after seeing that, to be honest. That was extraordinary. Thank that, you. But extraordinary. Um, <clears throat> a bunch of questions. One from Yoris, who hates open source. Um, <laughs> why do you uh, encode the alpha channel at all? Because it seems like 25% over, 25% overhead for no reason, or have we misunderstood? Um, well, the the alpha channel is not encoded in the MPEG video, so in the in the file there's no alpha channel. Um, but if you want to render anything on uh, on a canvas element or on your screen, you have to set the alpha component. And in the example I showed, the alpha component was um, always full alpha, so 255, um, just to display anything. You have to set this, this pixel value so that it get, uh, gets displayed on the canvas element. So it's not encoded in the video file. The video just encodes these uh, three channels, the one Luma channel and two Chroma channels. Gotcha, thank you. <laughs> Would you recommend using this in production? Um, it depends. <laughs> so um, I, I've, I've seen a few examples where, where this was used in production. There was, um, for instance, one Kickstarter project that, um, that produced uh, a lamp that, that you can program and that responds to certain events. So um, it was sort of like a cylinder that, um, with lots of LEDs in it, and you can program it to, if you get an SMS, um, it will um, highlight the top half of, of the cylinder in, in red or something. So you can, uh, compl it's, it's like a fountain of light, you can completely program it. And he had a demo on his web page using JSMPEG with a controlling, um, controlling stuff in the browser so you can control this light and um, try lots of different settings and immediately see the re result live streamed into your browser. And this wasn't possible with uh, HLS or um, or the MPEG dash streaming because the latency was five or ten seconds, and here you get 100 or 200 milliseconds, and it's almost um, it's good enough for for things like that where you turn on switch and you see the result. Gotcha. And uh, a question from somebody thinking very pragmatically: um, presumably, if you use uh, JSMPEG, it can autoplay on iOS, which HTML5 video can't do. Right. That's uh, also one of the. One of the benefits you get with JSMPEG, you have so much more control over what you do. Um, you can display um, single frames, and you can single f uh, frame step through the video. Um, you can seek to a specific frame, and these are things that kind of work in um, HTML5 video, but it depends where you have your intra-frames set, and it's really complicated. And um, as, as the question um, said, that uh, you can preload the video file, um, and you can't autoplay this this video file. So um, one thing I use this actually for is as a replacement for, um, for GIF animations. So lots of websites now um, have WebM um, videos, and these run great in, in browsers that support it, but if you um, use your smartphone, um, you can see these, this video file, and, um, 
as a GIF, it would be maybe 20 or 30 megabytes. So encoding it as MPEG-1 and serving it through JSMPEG was a no-brainer, and it worked uh, quite well. Obviously, you shouldn't autoplay video. Um, have you thought about writing, <coughs> writing an MPEG-4 decoder, or is that too darn tricky? Um, it's actually very tricky, yes. There, there's been an experiment called Broadway.js, which uh, tries to decode H.264 in JavaScript, and there's some demos available, and, but, but I haven't been able to make this work consistently. It's very flaky. It tries to decode different stuff in web workers and in, in different threads, and um, it barely works, um, if it works at all. So. And, and you have to download uh, maybe one megabyte of JavaScript for this. It's all ported via YAM scripting, and it's, um, yeah, it's, it's very complicated to get working, which is why the MPEG-1 format is, is so nice for this, because it's so simple, and you end up with a decoder that's 30 kilobytes in size, and you can uh, modify the source code and see what's going on, which you, is, is quite impossible with a modern decoder, sadly. I'm admiring the fact that the long description you gave of all the uh, the blocks and the encoding you describe as quite simple. It didn't seem particularly simple to me. It blew my mind and several other people's minds from looking at the Twitter stream. Well, yeah, it's, it's quite simple compared to what we have now in, in, uh, in current codecs. Um, but this also surprised me when I dove into this. Is, um, if you are used to clean APIs uh, with modern fr web frameworks, you are surprised how, I don't want to say how bad these, these file formats are, but they are really cumbersome to work with. Um, and, and some of this is um, for legacy reasons, because they had to support some old hardware, and it really had to be set in stone um, what this format should do, so that hardware can deal with the decoding. Um, but, but even the MPEG-1 format is, is not a pretty format. It's, it's simpler than uh, many f current formats we have but um, it's, it's still not nice. Presumably as well, if you wrote an, MP4, an MPEG-4 decoder, you would have to pay royalties to the MPEG-LA, wouldn't you? Pardon? You would have to pay royalties to the MPEG-LA if you uh, wrote a decoder. I don't think you have to um, pay royalties for the decoder. You have to pay royalties if you encode and serve these video files, I think. I don't know what the situation is exactly. Um, I'm probably in the gray area with JSMPEG as well, but nobody cares anymore after 20 years. <laughs> Don't tell the bad guys. Um, last question. You seem to be doing most of that in vanilla um, JavaScript, and I imagine that whereas it's fast, I didn't see any latency, um, it must be pretty heavy on the CPU cycles. Did you think about using ASM.js or something like that? I actually did. Um, ASM.js would, would be nice to, to have, but there's, I, don't, I don't know if there's a good way to write ASM.js um, without writing in a native language and then cross-compiling. I would like to see a language that sort of directly compiles to ASM.js so that you have a cleaner source code that, it's, uh, that is directly optimized for this kind of thing instead of write, writing C and then cross-compiling and ending up with a huge binary again. Um, and it was, would also mean that the source code wouldn't be as readable anymore. You have this compile step in between, and you can't just fiddle around with it. You know, for this demo, I'd, um, I'd, it took me about five minutes to just throw in a condition, condition 
to turn off intraframes and show you all the effects that happen when, when no intraframes are encoded. And this would be way more complicated if you supported ASMJS. Um, what I'm actually looking for is um, a thing called ZimDJS, which can use these uh, single, single instruction multiple data um, instruction sets from modern uh, CPUs to work on several values um, at the same time. And this would be great for, um, for JSMPEG to uh, speed up some of the decoding steps. Well, thank you very much. Uh, a crazed genius of a project and a crazed genius of a gentleman. Dominic Jablewski, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you.